Top Republicans slam the CDC for caving to gun control advocates. Plus, Manhattan Institute's Robert Verbruggen on the problem with the agency's decision to remove defensive gun use stats. That and more on this episode of the Weekly Reload. I made the devil run. I gave him poison just for fun. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gutowski. I'm also the founder of TheReload.com, where you can head over and sign up for our free weekly newsletter right now. Uh, if you want to receive the most up-to-date and interesting gun stories of the week, every week, into your inbox. Uh, this week, we are discussing a major breaking news story that we published uh, about the CDC changing its description of defensive gun uses in response to a pressure campaign from gun control advocates. And so we have somebody who has written extensively about defensive gun use in the past. Uh, Manhattan Institute fellow Robert Verbruggen is with us today. How are you doing, Robert? Good, good. How are you? Doing well. Can you tell people a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Yeah. My background is, is, is in journalism. Uh, I spent a lot of years uh, writing at National Review where I'm a contributing editor. Um, now I work on a variety of issues for the Manhattan Institute, um, various domestic policy things, including crime, um, some some gun topics and uh, immigration. Um, so I'm a bit of a, a generalist and a journalist, which uh, is unlike some of the more academically inclined fellows I work with. But you have also written uh, really critiques of both ends of the spectrum of Estimates on defensive gun use. So I think you're a pretty good person to talk to about both the the process issue that happened here of how this change was made by the CDC, and then also uh, I think later on this, in the episode we'll talk a little bit about the actual estimates themselves and some of the shortcomings and the critiques and responses that exist uh, because you have a bit of experience looking into these things. And so let's start with this process that they went through. Months-long campaign by three uh, gun control advocates. Two of them are uh, people who are actually like involved in researching gun violence to to a degree. You have Mark Bryant from uh, the Gun Violence Archive, right, which people probably know them best from their mass shooting count, which is commonly cited in uh, major media outlets. That's where it's one that they count. Uh, they, they use a very broad definition of mass shooting to uh, include any, any event where four or more people are injured. Um, and, and then they use, they also track defensive gun uses, but they use an extremely narrow definition for that, which is essentially any event that is reported in media. And they claim to also have police reports, but I've gone through their archive a bit. Uh, you've actually gone through all of this year, so we'll talk about that a little later. But uh, all I've ever seen in there are, are media reports, but um, I'm not really sure what police reports they have access to. But the, so he was involved uh, in this process. And then you also had uh, Devin Hughes from GVpedia who was involved. But the third person was Poe Murray, uh, who is sort of a more traditional just gun control activist. She runs Newtown Action Alliance and is, in fact, very bombastic. She commonly um, calls anyone who does not support assault weapons bans or AR-15 bans. Um, uh, well, she accuses them of supporting child murder, quite literally, including the father of um, 
uh, one of the Sandy Hook, or sorry, the one of the Parkland victims. So uh, you know, these were the people involved in this process. And it, for several months, they went back and forth to the CDC. Poe Murray was actually able to facilitate um, their connection with CDC officials because initially they weren't able to get in contact, but uh, she reached out to the White House and Senator Dick Durbin's office, and then they got them in contact with the CDC, who at first told them they were not going to change the description of defensive gun use on the website. But after having a private meeting, the CDC changed its mind um, and they removed the range of estimates that they had included on the fast facts website, from, which was from 60,000 to 2.5 million per year. And they removed a link to a review article that the CDC had commissioned in 2013. And so now all that exists in its place is a sentence that says more research is, is needed. Um, what do you make of that whole um, order? <laughs> yeah, well, to, to me, the, the most interesting thing is not so much the actual change to the website. Websites get updated all the time. The final sentence, as you said, is very kind of innocuous. It just basically says that these estimates vary a lot depending on you know, how, you, how, you, how you run the analysis. Um, if, it, if, the, if the website had just said that from the very beginning, I don't think anybody would have really batted an eye about it. The, the interesting thing here is really the process where you have people who are you know obviously involved with one side of, of the gun debate going to the CDC and effectively lobbying them to, to remove um, the, the concrete estimates because they really hate this figure that 2.5 million defensive gun uses um, <clears throat> happen according to the, the, the collect survey. I've even seen that number on on bumper stickers. I don't know if, if you have, but it's, it's a it's a common uh, a gun gun rights talking point. Um, and they hate the fact that it's on there, even if it is part of a range that goes all the way down to 60,000. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's really striking given, I mean, given a few things. I mean, first of all, there's the CDC's history of gun research. You know, obviously it's been extremely controversial. People with, with the CDC back in the 90s were very explicit that they were commissioning gun research with the goal of banning guns. Um, and, and that actually prompted congressional action. You have this law in the books that says um, it doesn't ban the CDC from doing gun research, but it says you can't advocate or promote gun control from the CDC. And then, um, you know, of course, over the past few years, we've had the pandemic. Um, the entire public health field has been very much um, under fire from the right side of the aisle. Um, and so, so having you know, CDC and the public health having some legitimacy with conservatives, you would think would be something that would be important to them. Um, the, obviously, they don't want to say anything that's that's false to pander to conservatives, but certainly they could leave up a completely um, innocuous description of their um, of the research on defensive gun uses, which is what they had originally. Um, yeah. and, and instead, they they uh, meet with these gun control advocates and they. Uh, remove the the statement from the website. And this is something that is not even done in a clandestine manner, because as you noted in your piece, it was actually the trace that reported first that this had changed and that that gun control advocates had been involved. This was something that you know, the, the whole community kind of knew about, that they were actively lobbying the CDC to to take that number off their website, and they succeeded in doing it. Um, yeah. So this, to Although me, that is, didn't, people didn't find out about that until after it had happened. Yeah, uh, they weren't open about it wh while it was happening. But oh, right, you're, right. you're correct that the trace was the first to note that the change had happened and to get the CDC to confirm that it was the result of lobbying from um, although they left. I think the CDC left out some important information <laughs> in their statement to the trace. Uh, they just said it was gun violence uh, or gun violence research community members who who they uh, were uh, in contact with over this and 
Poe Murray is uh, a lot of things, but she's not a gun violence researcher by any meaningful, you know, if you want to say Bryant and Hughes are, you know, that's uh, at least a more fair description. They certainly have clearly uh, their own point of view on the subject. And Bryant was extremely explicit about why he wanted this change, um, uh, the political motivation behind it. But but Poe Murray is just not a gun violence researcher in any in any way. And so they they kind of left that out when they were talking to the trace. But but yeah, the, it was confirmed after the fact. While this lobbying campaign was happening, the CDC didn't hold any public uh, hearings. They didn't seek out any other uh, points of view on the situation, and they made the change without announcing it. So um, you know, the trace found out about it later on, presumably from the, the people who had lobbied uh, for this change. But um, yeah, the CDC was themselves tried to be fairly secretive about the whole situation. Yeah. Well, what I mean, though, is simply that that this is something that, that came to light and it, it somewhat predictably came to light because these are people like like Paul Murray is not a, a particularly quiet person. You might you might say from noting that on your Twitter feed. So you're facing a pressure campaign from people who are very, you know, have very public profiles and then and connected politically yeah, really. and, and connected. Um, I mean, that's not something that you expect to necessarily stay secret forever. And, and it predictably did. It ended up in the trace, which is you know, also not a, you know, uh, the trace wasn't exposing something they saw as something that was, um, you know, a problem. They, they were um, essentially just reporting that, hey, this pressure campaign worked. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's um, to me, it's, it's just an enormous misstep to do it the way that they did it and to um, and to create this image that once again, here's the CDC. Um, taking sides in the gun debate and, you know, at, at a time when they're returning to doing more, more gun violence research because, you know, under Obama, some of that, um, those restrictions kind of loosened a bit um, and, and they're back into funding gun research. So, I mean, how, if, if they expect to be well-received across the political spectrum, they have to take the attitude of being, um, you know, this is, we are trying to produce great science and we're trying to get this in front of people and they can make their own decisions, but instead they're, they're doing something that very obviously looks like they're pandering to one side of the gun debate. Um, which is something that they've done in the past. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's the sort of crux of why this matters so much. But, um, but, but I do want to go back on, on one point. So, uh, just to be clear about what changed, right? So, the, initially, the statement on their website. This is the Fast Facts website. Um, so, it's probably the one. If you're going to Google information from the CDC about guns, is probably where you're going to end up. So, <clears throat> you know, while it's a summary website it's also one that's probably the most visible that they have which makes change any change to it potentially pretty important yeah um and uh you know it initially had the um the the sort of nuance in it that there are a lot of ways to estimate defensive gun uses and we'll get into uh, some of those ways and the problems with you know each different method uh, later in the show but the CDC noted all this stuff in the initial statement that it had, like it, it said, you know, you're going to, there's different ways of measuring. They give you just different results. Uh, but they included here is a range that was found in a paper that we commissioned the CDC. Um, and it was between 60,000, 2.5 million. And here's a link to go and read the paper. If you want more information, which you would think would be the whole point of, of this uh, section on the web, like you're trying to help people be informed and linking to a scientific review of research 
is a pretty good way of doing it because the and the research paper itself goes into how these uh, estimates are calculated, where they come from, and it's not as though they're trying to they don't endorse Clex um, numbers, they don't endorse the lower end numbers, they 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 weren't taking a position on uh, how many uses there are a year. They were just noting that here's what the scientific research community has come up with to this point um, on uh, how many there are. And there's, you know, different ways of looking at it and it's still an open controversy. Uh, whereas the new language now notes all the same stuff about how it's, you know, there's different ways of measuring it. And then it just says more research is needed instead of giving people any sort of resource to look into the research that already exists and make up their own minds about it. Uh, and I think that while you're right that the new language is fairly innocuous in that it doesn't take a side, it, it's not as though uh, they use the, they, they endorse the gun violence archives count, which by the way is down at like 2000 per year um, is a wild outlier from everyone else's. Um, but uh, and we'll get into, again, how they get to those numbers and issues and uh, strengths and weaknesses of it later in the show. But you know, but the problem to me when I look at that change is they went from giving people information and for the resources from their of their own creation. Right. It wasn't like they linked. They just sent people to Gary Kleck's studies. No, they, they sent people to a CDC commission review of the research. Um, and it went from that to just giving them no information. I mean, you could, you could, in theory, go put any, go to any controversial subject that has different approaches in the scientific community for, uh, coming up with answers and put in language that says there's controversy and more research is needed. And then, but that's not really useful. Is it to the public? Like that doesn't really fulfill the CDC's mission, does it? Yeah, no, no I, I agree with that. I mean, the, the point of the website is to give people, uh, first of all, very simple, basic information and point them elsewhere. Um, it's kind of odd, especially that not only did they review, remove the, the range, but they also removed the, the link that sent people elsewhere. Um, I mean, think it, if they did this for gun deaths, right? There, there's right. different ways of measuring gun murder in the United States. The FBI has a different way of doing it than the CDC does. And there is a continuing controversy over which one is better. Uh, and people will cite, you know, one or the other. And so the CDC's website could say, well, there's different ways of measuring this and there's an ongoing controversy. Uh, so more research is needed instead of giving their own statistics, but they don't do that. Right. No. And, and I think people would be very upset if they did do that. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's why, like, it, even though the statement at the end isn't <clears throat> making it controversial, claim, it, to me, the change is still pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that. I mean, but but I will say just because the range is so, so large, I mean, like if you look at the FBI murder and manslaughter count and compare it with the CDC homicide count, they're different because they're using a little different uh, different definitions and they tend to be off by, I don't know, 10, 10 percent or something like that, five or 10 percent. Um, here, here, yeah, you do have a range that goes from you know, 60,000 up to two, uh, 2.5 million. So that's a factor sure. of what, close to 50. That's fair. Um, I mean, I, th I think you could make a case. Like if, if you were writing it from scratch from the very beginning and you just said, you know, there's, these are so all over the place that it's not even worth giving a number. We're just going to 
include a link to explaining some of the different things and people can go elsewhere if they want it. I, I don't think anybody would have gotten upset about that. But when you take something that yeah. has concrete numbers in it, including a number that um, people in the gun rights community tend to see as a, a, a major citation for them, a major um, a major piece of evidence for the way they see the world, and you have that on there for years, and then you take it off and you do it um, under pressure from gun rights activists. And then um, you know this fairly predictably does manage to get out into the public view that this happened. I mean, that's just, that's just a mess. That's a bad for the CDC and it's bad for their legitimacy if they want to be creating research um, that's going to affect these topics and affect public policy. Yeah. And to be fair, they, they did in their ex- explanation to the trace, they didn't, they haven't, they still haven't responded to uh, requests for comment from, ba- you know, basically any other <laughs> from the reload or any other outlet that's covered this since, the story broke. And so uh, all we have right now are what was in the FOIA emails, which did include a response to the trace initially um, that that did talk about how the the range was wide. And there was some internal discussion of this, that the range is very wide. And so they, they claim that that could lead to more questions than answers uh, to be to be fair to them they, they did note that exact problem that you're describing there yeah I mean, and but uh, sometimes social science does lead to more questions than answers right um, i mean a lot of times it does yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. but um uh although they, they even then though they described making this change which just switched out one sentence for another sentence didn't change the length or anything of the what's on the website uh, as being necessary for clarity, uh, even though it it obviously didn't bring new clarity no. <laughs> at all, and for succinctness, which again it didn't change the 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 edit didn't make a change to how long things were. So, um, you know, there the excuses that they've put forward, or the ex sorry the explanations they put forward, um, are questionable in and of themselves, but they do include, you know, some legitimate points about the range being very large. And, but the thing is like, yeah, the range is large, right? But they, that's why they gave you the link to the research paper that gives you information about why the range is large and tells you how each of these these studies was conducted. Um, The other interesting thing to me though, about this change is you know, certainly these were critiques that were brought up. There were substantive critiques brought up by these three gun uh, control advocates uh, along the lines of stuff we'll get into. But none of them were new critiques, right? I mean, this was essentially Devin Hughes, who made most of the substantive critiques in the emails that we have. He was kind of rehashing what he'd already said in Politico articles back in 2015, where he had an, he had a back and forth with Gary Kleck at the time. There wasn't, as far as I could tell, there was no new argument in there about, you know, what the problems with Kleck's research. Uh, did you see anything that was new? Uh, no, I mean, this is something I've been following for a long time. I remember that that exchange between Kleck and Hughes back when it happened in Politico. These are the same, most of the same criticisms that we've been seeing since the 90s and certainly since right. that Politico exchange. Um, there was nothing, nothing new about it. Um, and uh, according to Gary Clack, you know, you quoted him. He, he told you that um, nobody even reached out to him to to, to rehash no. the other side of the exchange. So it's uh, right. That, no that one, they didn't reach out, as far as we can tell, to anyone else outside of these three 
gun control advocates. Um, they didn't, uh, you know, the FOIA release was all communications related to this decision. And in there, now they did redact about 18 pages of the 131 pages completely. So we don't, there may be some more information in there, although that looked like, uh, if you look at those redactions, they appear to be of perhaps when they were editing the website or like drafts of edits to the website more so than uh, email communications. But um, there's no evidence that they talked to anyone else. They haven't, of course, again, said anything to that regard. And Gary Kleck said he wasn't contacted. William English, who's um, a Georgetown professor who did a, uh, another defensive gun use survey last year, uh, which we we had him on the podcast uh, a while back, but he wasn't contacted either. You weren't contacted, right? There, <laughs> nobody, as far as we can tell, no one else was actually contacted about this decision. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly nothing that I've seen in, in the emails that you guys have found. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that, and that's part of the problem, right? In the first place, it's like, there does, like, uh, to your point, it does seem to be a way they could have made this decision and perhaps it still would have been fairly controversial, but it would not have been the same level of scandal that this is because uh, because of the secretive nature of it and the one sided um, nature of the communications. And, um, you know, had they even if they had first considered making this change because of suggestions from these advocates, had they gone through perhaps a public uh, you know, process where they brought in other voices, people with different points of view and done it in the open and then announced that they were making the change, you know, even, even frankly to a relatively small, like it's public, it's public, but it's not going to get a hundred thousand viewers or whatever. Um, I, I don't think it would have been the same level of, of controversy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's always this question. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a page on their website. You know, they, I mean, right. I, I don't track them. I, I imagine that they're updated fairly frequently. Um, but to me, it's, it's the nature of, you know, this process of, of you have um, a concerted lobbying campaign to change change something on the website and then it succeeds um, and then it becomes public. It just looks terrible for the, for the agency. Um, and it's, it's really not the way you should be doing these things. Yeah. And to that end, I think one of the things that makes it especially controversial uh, are the sort of explicit motivations of the advocates. I mean, Mark Bryant was very clear in why he wanted this change. Certainly, they had substantive critiques of Kleck's work uh, and really kind of all surveys, because again, Kleck is not the only one who has found millions of self-defense use of guns every year. Right. There are multiple surveys that have found that. Even before he did some of his work, there were already surveys reaching that basic conclusion. Yeah. And of course we have William English's latest survey here in uh from 2021 that used a larger sample, sort of addressed some of the concerns. We'll we'll get into that a little bit later, like I said, but uh, you know, that found 1.6 million per year. Um and, you know, identified another, I believe, million that were sort of uh, using the presence of a firearm without threatening, you know, without threatening the use of it uh, as a form of defense. Yeah. So like there, this was not just one survey in 1993 that that's come to this conclusion. It's, there's been quite a lot of um, survey based estimates that found find this 
this high number of uh, instances. But um, the issue is they didn't just use the substantive critiques. They also went and made explicitly political critiques. Um, you know, let me, let me just read a quote here from Bryant is again, this is the gun violence archive guy. And he says, and while that very small study by Gary Clack has been debunked repeatedly, but well, actually, first off, let me, yeah. he has an even more sort of bombastic thing to, to begin with. He says that 2.5 million number needs to be killed, buried, dug up, killed again, and buried again. It is highly misleading, is used out of context, and I honestly believe it has zero value, even as an outlier point in honest DGU uh, discussions, defensive gun use discussions. Uh, and while that very small study by Gary Clack has been debunked repeatedly by everyone from all sides of the issue, even Clack, by the way, of course, Clack himself <laughs> uh, stood by his research when I talked to him um, and just does not feel it has been debunked by either himself, himself or other people. Uh, he feels quite the opposite way. Um, but anyway, going back to, to Bryant's uh, point here, it still remains canon by gun rights folks and their supporting politicians and is used as a blunt instrument against gun safety regulations every time there is a state or federal level hearing. Put simply, in the time that study has been published as a, quote, CDC study, gun violence prevention policy has ground to a halt in no small part because of the misinformation that small study provided. Um, so, you know, this was in an email that Bryant sent to CDC officials after they had their private meeting uh, back last uh, September. And he's making his, his motivations extremely clear to them. Uh, and they, they don't object to it. And in fact, despite initially saying there was no reason to change this description on their website, they did exactly that uh, and thanked these advocates for their input. So, yeah. uh, you know, and said that they were explicitly told the advocates they were addressing their concerns. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that I think is where it really uh, puts things over the top. You know, it wasn't just, yeah. okay, these people are gun control advocates. They generally want stricter gun laws. They've said that publicly numerous times. Poe Murray is obviously one of the most bombastic gun control advocates that in it, <laughs> in the community. Um, but they also were very clear about why, why they wanted to change yeah. these numbers or why they wanted them removed from the website. Yeah. And one of the more striking parts of the exchange I thought was when, when the folks at the CDC initially say, no, you know, it's all we do is we say there's a very wide range of them. We explain why there's a wide range. We point people to more reading material. This is fine. And, and the original language was fine. Um, it's really striking that they, you know, saw it with that kind of clarity to begin with. And then, and then later came. Yeah, one of the CDC officials, uh, James Mercy, uh, expressed confusion about why they would change it. Um, you know, he, well, first he expressed surprise that Mark Bryant was connected to uh, Newtown Action Alliance uh, because Mark Bryant is generally uh, generally puts himself forward as more of a researcher than an activist, but. Um, you know, whereas Newtown Action Alliance, again, is one of the most bombastic groups out there. Uh, and after that, he said, you know, why would we change it? We don't say anything that's incorrect or controversial, basically. And he asks, you know, is there some other reason we would change this? Uh, you know, he's, he's like not understanding what the problem would be. 
Uh, and then nobody, nobody answers his questions in the email thread that was released, at least. Uh, in fact, there isn't any internal uh, deliberations where people argue for the change in the emails that I could find. Uh, you just have the public statements that they made after the fact. Yeah, I'm not an expert on FOIA law, but I wonder if those kinds of internal deliberations are something that they don't have to disclose, and that's why I wasn't in there. I feel like it. Had well, to I mean, happen. they they disclose the internal deliberations where they're saying we shouldn't change it. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Odd. Um, I mean, obviously, somebody some they they did talk about speaking offline on this subject. Uh, we uh, we obviously don't know what they said in person to each other or even in that meeting. Yeah, uh, that they had with the the advocates. Uh, we don't know if there was uh, any intervention, any further intervention from the White House than uh, what's seen in the emails. You know, we, we don't know those sorts of details because they're not written documents that you can FOIA. Yeah. Uh, so there, you know, we don't have a complete picture. We have a pretty good, pretty pretty, pretty extensive picture of what happened, but it's not perfect. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it's they were. There were actually several times internally where they said, "Why would we change this?" We stand. In fact, uh, initially, the first internal discussion of it said, "We stand behind uh, what's on the website," you know, un unambiguously, and and cited twelve different surveys uh, on defensive gun uses that are, I believe, are included in the the review that they linked. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just the the blatantly political nature of at least part of the argument that the advocates were making, I think adds a level of, of uh, concern for a lot of people to this whole situation. But, uh, but yeah, let, let's talk though now about some of the substantive critiques you have written about defensive gun use estimates on either end of the spectrum and the weaknesses of them, the strengths of them. So why don't we get into that? Because, um, you know, this was the sort of core of the uh, justification for why these things were changed or why why they were, uh, why the CDC decided to make a move here. And so um, why, don't, why don't we start with the, the one at the center of all this, the Gary Kleck survey uh, and really kind of general critiques of survey-based estimates because it, if you read through it, Hughes's argument kind of devolves into you can't really use surveys to estimate defensive gun uses for a number of reasons. Um, and so why don't you go over for us just the the main problems with trying to figure out how many times people use a gun in self-defense by asking them directly. Sure, yeah, well, well, I mean, on one level, it's it's kind of the obvious thing to do, right? Call a bunch of people, you get a good national random sample and ask them you know, if they've used a gun in the past year or so. Um, there have been basically a number of, of uh, issues raised with this this approach, though. Um, one is that, especially if you're asking over a limited time frame, um, like some of the Quack surveys asked, you have you used a gun in self-defense in the past year, um, uh, you run into a problem where, the, because it's a pretty rare event, 
if even a small number, small percentage of your respondents um, answer incorrectly, whether because they're they're making something up or because they're reporting something that didn't actually happen in the past year, um, or are just confused about the question or, or what have you, um, basically even if only a small number of people answer incorrectly, that's going to swamp the the rare um, occurrence of you know the people who actually did use a gun in the past year. Because uh, I mean, it's so I think um, one thing that most people will be confused by is calling it a rare event, right? Because mm -hmm. you got well, 2.5 million. That's a lot. That's not rare. But I suppose the way you're calculating that is based yeah. off of the 1% of the population yeah. says it happened. And 1% of the population is about, you know, two and a yeah. half million. So one percent, you, you, you know? Yeah. I mean, basically the idea is that if you talk to a hundred people and even one out of every 100 people, you talk to um, is full of it for whatever reason that that can that there can create a one percent result that gives you the two point five million. And um, this isn't an issue with just measuring defensive gun uses. Yeah. It's sort of a general critique of any survey that looks at relatively rare occurrences. Right. Yeah. Like if you ask people, are you a Republican or a Democrat? You're going to have the same problem where some people answer incorrectly, but because I mean, Republicans and Democrats are roughly equal in nature, so they'll cancel each other out to some extent. And also the vast majority of people are going to answer correctly. So the, the few people who get it wrong are not going to have that big of an effect on the result. When you have something that's extremely rare um, or, or at least fairly rare, um, th that's when the, the incorrect responses start to really rack up your rack up your total in a, in a way that you don't want. Um, Doesn't this also affect uh, then the way that the CDC and others estimate how many uh, victims of gun violence there are? Because that would be a, a fairly rare event too, right? Yeah. Anytime you have like a, the NCDS, for example, is another, it's a survey that, that, that estimates, you know, it's a survey of the general population that asks them about their experiences with crime. I mean, yeah, there could absolutely be a similar issue there where it's, if some number of people make something up or report something from the wrong time frame or what have you, that's going to inflate those numbers. Um, and it's hard to, um, yeah, obviously we have much better uh data, I think, from, you know, especially police departments on crime that's actually reported. Um, but what the NCBS tries to do is fill in the gaps of what wasn't reported to the police. And, and yeah, mm -hmm. when it comes to that, that's, that's a, that's but a it can problem. be vulnerable to that same issue. Yes. Um, and then, uh, but that's obviously not the only critique of, of CLEC and, and other survey based estimates, which tend to be, uh, tend to put the number into the millions, uh, per year. Yeah. Uh, really they're really, they tend to be somewhere between, you know, 750,000 to 3.5 million. I think is the highest that's oh, been out there, but, but, um, uh, you know, so they, they tend to be on the fairly high side. Yeah. Uh, and the, the other big critique, which Hughes does make in his argument to the, the CDC is that were there that many defensive gun uses in real life, um, you would see evidence of that, like sort of uh, concrete evidence of them more often, things like uh, media reports or um, you know, hospital admissions for gunshot wounds would be much higher. Isn't that, that's another common critique, right? Yeah. I mean, to take, you know, for example, the, the, the newer English study that, that addresses the problem, I think a bit with the, uh, the rare event thing, because he mm -hmm. asks about if they've ever, um, yeah, he took a different himself. approach. Yeah, right? so he, he wasn't asking that. just over the last year. He said ever, and yeah. then divided by the average yeah. number of years lived among yeah, respondents. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so, so that, that that I think was an interesting choice and a good choice. Um, but the thing is that that when you he still though produced a, a pretty high result. I think you, you said it before it was one point yeah. seven. I one think, point, but that was yeah. 
but that was only among gun gun owners and, and at least right. in the collect data there were a fair number of, of non-gun owners who said that they right had, yeah that was the other yeah, limitation so, from so the I mean, english english actually says that he i mean if you adjust it according to collect's estimate of how how often non-gun owners do it it as high as you know, even higher than two point yeah. five million total. Um, right. So he, he has a really high number as well. Um, but the thing is, you know, as you said, if you if you have even two two million, say, defensive gun uses, um, and if you look at these these surveys, also collect other information about what happened, um, mm-hmm. including whether a gun was discharged. In, in the English survey, it's about twenty percent, I think, that have, that um, said they fired a shot. Um, yeah, it's very low. Shot, but yeah, but but it's twenty percent of two million is four hundred thousand. That's four hundred thousand defensive gun uses with shots fired. Um, mm-hmm. So there should be those cases should be um, a bit easier to find. Well, You're not going to find one hundred percent of them because not all you know, even sure. urban areas sometimes gunshots go unreported. Um, right. Well, but, actually, so the English, I think the English study is a little different because it it has it's has thirty years of hindsight to sort of correct for some of these critiques or at least take them into account. And so yeah. I do want to talk a little more about how it does that. But for, but for right now, um, the the main critique was about the Kleck survey in the 90s and and that he that survey uh, did ask whether people had reported their self-defense shooting to police or the police had become aware of them. And it got a yeah. very high number yeah. for that, right? And this yeah. is the basis for why... Hughes argue, Hughes and Brian argue that it can't be true because um, it, what what was the, it was like 64%. Yeah. I mean, actually, frankly, I find the, the shots fired um, issue much, much more problematic than the, the police finding out about it issue. Um, because um, when you report something to the police, the police don't keep a tally of defensive gun uses. You know, when the FBI puts out its annual statistics that it collects from um uh, from from police departments, there is no category for right. you know some type of crime was stopped by a, a, a gun. But this is this is their um, critique, though, right? They yeah, say, but I like, mean, hey, uh, the gun violence archive only finds two thousand incidents a year, or you know somewhere around that number. You know, this is sort of the average that they've identified since they've been keeping count uh, back in like twenty thirteen, I believe, was when they yeah. started. But they, um, you know, and and so if there had been 2.5 million self, you know, gun defense, defensive gun uses, and 64% of people ended up reporting these to the police. You'd have, you know, uh, millions of incidents that would be in police records or would have made the news. And we can only find 2,000, and that's the largest sort of database of, you know, at least reported incidents of, of uh, defensive gun use. That exists, so these numbers can't possibly be real. Right? He calls them. He, uh, Hughes calls them criminologically impossible results. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, to the issue with that is that if you basically if you had access to every police report that was ever filed and you went through them all and, and tallied up all the defensive gun uses, um, then then you could maybe make that kind of argument. But they're, they're not doing that. If you, as you mentioned before, if you go through right. their data, overwhelmingly they're, they're, they're relying on things that are not only. Um, announced by police departments, for example, in press releases or things, but um, but are actually reported in the media. I, I think I did poking around in there, see one or two that were maybe a, a Facebook post from a police department or something, something to that effect. Yeah, it seems but, like but that's not, what they mean by police reports is like police press releases. Yeah, I don't I don't see that they're um, going through and and going through all of the police reports that are filed to see if, if how often people are calling the cops to say you know hey some guy tried to break into my house or I caught a guy in my house and I chased him off with a gun. 
Um, if every once in a while something like that will be reported in the in the media, and you'll find that. Um, but overwhelmingly, what they have is different. I actually downloaded their their defensive gun use data. Um, for some reason, it only gives you the 2022 numbers when you hit the download button on that webpage. Um, but but yeah, they have about a thousand so far for 2022, and they have data on how many people were injured and how many people were killed. And it's something like 95, 96 percent of these cases have somebody injured or killed in them. So yeah, I think you said only four didn't have that. Yeah, the, yeah, I think it was four percent didn't have somebody injured or killed. That's obviously not capturing all the times when people are you know using a gun in self defense and right. um and there's no injury or death. And if you I I didn't comprehensively review them, but I I poked around a bit in some of the cases where there are zero injuries or deaths. Um, every once in a while you will find a you know a local news story in some small town where some woman chased a burglar out and and the guys on the loose and they wrote a story about it. Um, but pretty commonly, these are you know, fairly extreme cases where there was a shootout in a store that somebody tried to rob, but nobody was hit. Um, or um, I remember there's one case where a guy was viciously beating a pregnant woman in a parking lot and a, a gun owner stopped him. I mean, it's pretty obviously why, obvious why the media is covering that and why it's getting into the... Yeah, they're basically high-profile incidents of yeah. These are, I, mean, I don't. I think the idea of calling that a comprehensive count of gun uses just doesn't pass in any sort of test. I mean, there's, that's obviously way too low. Um, how, how low it is is an open question, but it's it's obviously not capturing defensive gun uses comprehensively. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's the the big critique and problem with the gun violence archives numbers. Uh, was sort of. Uh, makes them extremely hard to believe. I mean, and the the other thing about it, like the gun violence archive sort of tries to put forth itself as, you know, an unbiased source of information on shooting statistics, but you know, the what their methodology kind of gives away the game a bit in my opinion. I mean, obviously Bryant and his statements and these emails give it away even more, but um but, you know, he uses they, they use the broadest possible definition of mass shooting, which conflates basically all sorts of gang shootings or interpersonal violence with events like Uvalde or or Parkland or or Las Vegas, which are clearly distinct happenings. Um, you know, while all are terrible and, you know, people generally want to uh, stop all kinds of gun violence, they are you know, what happened in Uvalde is different from, you know, uh, four people injured in a gang shootout. Like, that's just objectively uh, true. And I, I don't know what value you get in lumping the two events together outside of creating a bigger number, which is more sensational, um, which, I mean, frankly, is the exact result of that archive is whenever there is a, um, a very highly publicized uh, mass killing event with a firearm, mass shooting, uh, the media will report the the gun violence archives number because they're extremely large and it gives off the impression that something like Uvalde happens every day in the United States yeah. when that's not remotely true. Um, and especially if you look at, for instance, the Associated Press's tracking of this, which finds that there's about, you know, somewhere between five and, uh, you know, 15 of these sorts of events each year. And there hasn't really been much of a trend in their data, which looks at, four more uh, killed in, in public um, settings. But either way, uh, the other uh, methodology that they use is to take this extremely narrow view of de defensive gun use, and, and they talk about it in an extremely um, uh, surprising way, I don't know, yeah. sort of, yeah, sarcastic, condescending way, where 
they essentially say that no uh, anyone who uh, would use a, any responsible gun owner that would use a gun in self-defense uh, should call the police afterwards to report it in order to prevent the the dangerous person from harming someone else. And so they basically say that they're, they don't uh, care if there's other they, Yeah, that, that those don't count or don't even exist. They sort of imply that those don't even exist. They sort of mock the idea of um, counting, you know, he said, you, uh, I, I heard from stories or this thing happened to me stories uh, in their methodology. <laughs> you know, they have this really, really um, condescending methodology <laughs> about their explanation for why they count things this way. And so... Uh, you know, I think that kind of gives like they're trying to inflate the number of mass shootings and downplay the number of defensive gun uses. And Brian's emails show why they're doing that, because they want more gun restrictions and they view the, the idea of um, a lot of defense gun uses as being an impediment to that. Um, but, uh, you know, just... <laughs> Uh, getting back to their substantive critiques here, because, you know, it's still fair to go through all these things like you have in your pieces and, uh, you know, it's, and consider them and reason through them. Uh, now, uh, going back to English's uh, survey for a moment, it tries to address a lot of these concerns mm -hmm. through, like we talked about earlier, the way that he conducted the survey, the, the way he asked the questions um, and, you know, you, you're saying there's still a vulnerability to how those numbers came out because uh, it, he found most people, he found that there are 20% of the millions of people who um, report using a gun in self-defense per year would uh, reported sh actually firing a shot. And those numbers would still equal out to a very large amount of people who have fired shots in self-defense, right? And that, right. And that may be, uh, the, one of the critiques is that there should still be, even if the gun violence archive isn't a good measure, there are other ways to look at whether or not that makes yeah. sense. I mean, and the gun violence archive might be a decent measure of things that are actually, you know, high, high, high profile enough to get, sure. get reported. Sure. Yeah, it doesn't, um, you know, these critiques don't mean that their archive is totally useless. Right, yeah. No, I, I think they, um, they do seem to have a fairly comprehensive uh, um, count of crimes that are high profile, you know, that will obviously be reported. But, but yeah, I mean, I, th I think there's a, there's a case that, that the numbers are, are impossibly high. I think you can make that argument. Um, some other uh, interesting things I noticed reading through the, the English study is that um, uh, one, he said that the majority of people who reported using a gun in self-defense reported doing so multiple times. Um, and, and when he does his calculation, he, he factors that in so that they're counted as multiple, you know, self uses. Uh, okay, that's interesting. So, so yeah. Uh, but I, real quick, I want to, because he actually does have a response to this, this idea. There have been studies that looked at, like, how many uh, people went to the hospital for gunshot wounds, for instance, and, and calculate, I think, based off of that, said there could only be, like, 30,000 um defensive gun uses per year right wasn't that uh am i getting that research correct i mean that, that might um th th this that is would, another way that people have tried to fact yeah, that yeah but that that's looking only at people who actually got shot so not only a shot fire but right. actually got shot yeah right but that's so what what was, like what the, 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 the the this basic critique of these survey-based estimates relies a lot on this idea that if there were so many 
defensive gun uses, you would see more direct, you know, uh, mm. practical evidence in in real life in the form of uh, either media reports or gunshot wound victims, you know, criminals showing up at hospitals with gunshot wounds. Um, uh, and the claim is that 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 you know doesn't happen that often i believe one of the numbers for the gunshot wound uh research papers uh is 30,000 per year and english has claimed that if you look at his numbers they actually do line up with that because um his and his argument for it and i'm interested in your take on this his argument is that Okay, so you have 1.6 million per year. Mm -hmm. Of those, only 20% fired a shot. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at police, if you look at studies of police shootings, they, you know, there's a police miss most of the shots they take in mm -hmm. police shooting encounters. Yeah. And so if you apply those numbers to, you know, that 20% of 1.6 million, you get something closer to 30,000 where somebody would actually get hit in a okay. defensive gun use situation, uh, according to his numbers. This is his response to those sort of critiques that the numbers actually do line up. If you, if you factor in all of that, is that like sensible? I mean, I would need to look a little closer at it, but the, the 30,000 is that, um, oftentimes when people are making these arguments about defensive gun uses, they'll say, for example, um, you know, these folks claim to have defended themselves against robbery a higher number of times than the total number of robberies, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So the 30,000 number, I'm, I think that might be the total number of gunshot wounds per year in the U.S. Is that what that is? Or is that only? No, because that's supposed like to be 40,000 gun deaths a year. So, um, you know, obviously the uh, it's that uh, was my yeah. recollection. Well, I mean, most, uh, yeah, most, perhaps we're getting too far out. Yeah, only well, most uh, gun deaths are most recently read. Though, but, I don't, um, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I, I would need to take a closer look at what, what exactly all those numbers stand. Yeah, for. but that was his basic argument, though, is like it, you do get down to much smaller numbers of uh, if you're trying to just consider people who are actually hit by gunfire during defensive gun uses and uh, trying to. My my recollection of it. Um, and people should go and listen to the podcast with William English, where he describes this in more detail, uh, or read the the piece the pieces we did on that on his survey earlier this year. But but uh, my recollection is that the you know it was a smaller level study of you know specific communities um, uh, admissions rates for gunshot wounds, and then comparing that to um, you know sort of using that as the argument for how many. Uh, it sort of has the same problem that the defend the GBA estimates have, which is that it kind of ignores any potential defensive gun use that doesn't result in gunshot wounds, uh, which would be the vast majority of them. Of course, probably in the 90 percentage, 90, somewhere in the 90s percentiles, like most people who use a gun in self-defense never fire a shot. And most people who would fire a shot probably aren't actually hitting what they're shooting at, given the circumstances, a high stress circumstance they're probably less well trained than police officers and police officers don't hit uh the targets they shoot at in most you know during you know each one of their shots is not likely to hit but either way um you know that that's sort of the english response um and, and so real quick here as we wrap up i do want to talk about the sixty thousand 
uh, which is, was the low end of the CDC's uh, Actually, actually can I uh, interrupt you for one second here? I'm, I'm just looking at this is the Brady Center website, so to make of that what you will. Um, but, it, but it looks like uh, it's around 100,000 people are non-fatally shot each year in total. Um, but when you um, take out the, the suicides, and set, et cetera, this says about 35,000 are intentionally shot by someone else and survive. Um, so right. it, it does sound like 30,000 is in the vicinity of... of uh, of, of course, total, those would be not total gunshot wounds, but total intentionally inflicted by somebody else. Wounds. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look at exactly which research he was pointing to for that. Yeah, but, I, I really um, need to take a closer look at those numbers. That's a really interesting argument, though. And I'm not because that would further. that would also I would assume that those 30,000 in that calculation would include a lot of people who were shot by criminals. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's criminals. the vast majority of them should be right. of those 30,000 should be potentially. Yeah, um, so, yeah. Um, it's a little, uh, you know, so th there's, there's more to it than this. We're not gonna be able to get into this, especially this <laughs> part because, the, uh... because it's a bit outside of, uh, what's at top of mind for me at the, at the moment. Yeah. I don't want to go yeah, on it yeah. and just speculate, but, um, but I do want to talk a little bit about the 60,000 estimate because you have written about that and that yeah. we have a lot more direct, um, immediate knowledge about that. that sure. Issue. Yeah. Can you describe where that comes from? And sure. The, yeah, well, the, the lower end of the range normally comes from, it's called the National Crime Victimization Survey. And I actually mentioned that earlier. It's a survey of the general public and asked them about their experiences with crime. Um, the way that, that um, people try to use it to uh, measure defensive gun use is uh, basically when you're interviewed by the NCBS, there's, it's called a screener, screener questions, um, where they basically ask you if you've been the victim of a crime. Um, and if you say that you have, then they ask you uh, a variety of follow-up questions, including anything you did to resist the crime. So basically, if you look at the people who got all the way through that process and ended up getting to the resistance question and saying that they used a gun in self-defense, that gets counted. Um, but if, for example, if you said you were not the victim of a crime because you stopped the crime from happening by using a gun in self-defense, then you wouldn't even be included in that. Right. So that's, they, that's the core problem with using the And they, they come out to 60000 a year. I, I think most NCBS estimates are higher are higher than that, um, but yeah, there's it's it's uh, the same as uh, you know other surveys come up with a range you know, depending on which years of the NCBS you're looking at and how right. you're, you're coding your responses and things like that. You can come up with a, a range, that, but but yeah, the NCBS estimates tend to be a lot lower. I think a lot. But that's where the lower range came from in that CDC CDC's yeah. initial uh, statement on this and. And obviously some of the problems, like you mentioned there, that if you don't consider yourself to be a victim of crime, you're probably not going to be um, included in this. And then don't they, they don't actually explicitly ask you if you used a gun. They just ask right. you. No, they don't ask you, did, you did you use a gun in self-defense? They ask you, I think the question is something to the, the effect of, you know, did you do anything to resist the crime? Yeah. So it's, and so um, you'd have to volunteer yeah. that yeah, exactly. without being prompted that you used a firearm. So. Yeah. That could lead to undercounts as well. Um, now, uh, so, you know, you, you've identified sort of the weaknesses with all of these ways of measuring things. And I, I would also imagine, like we said at the beginning, that survey still has the same basic problem of the rare Mm. Um, trying to survey a rare event. Uh, yeah, and, and I think that's what Hughes's point was when he, because he's uh, he's pushing his one thousand to two thousand estimate, um, uh, which, right. which I, mean, I think is obviously way too low. But I mean, he's saying that the NCBS might have the same problem, so that it's actually overestimating it, and that's why he right. his estimate as possible. So and so basically, yeah. you know, I guess the position of some uh, some of the gun control advocates and and uh, some scholars on this uh, as well is just that you. Surveys can never be used for this, and they would—they will always produce completely on you know, complete overestimates 
Um, right. Yeah. That's sort of the, you just can't use yeah. surveys. Is what I mean, it's, people are saying. there are a lot of standard problems with surveys. And I feel like defensive gun use brings out all of them at once. Cause you have the, the rare event history that we talked about. There's the social desirability bias. If somebody thinks that, you know, the, the interviewer doesn't, doesn't like mm -hmm. guns or whatever, they'll be less likely to volunteer that. There's the issue of, you know, especially at the, in the earlier CLEX surveys, this was before a lot of states had gone concealed carry. So a lot of people who use guns in self-defense might not have been carrying them legally. Right. Um, one thing he's pointed out is that um, the NCBS in particular is conducted by <laughs> um, the federal government. So you, know, you have somebody from the federal government coming to ask you about, you know. <laughs> right. About yeah. Clex, so, Clex's yeah. position is that all these are that surveys are, tend to produ uh, produce undercounts for these reasons. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's where he's. That's his position. Yeah. On all this. Basically, anything that can go Nobody wrong with me. any survey um, can go wrong with, with DGU surveys in particular. Um, yeah. it, has a, it has all of the problems with surveys packed into one issue. But obviously, you, uh, as noted by your laughter there, uh, <laughs> don't find the other method of estimates to be reliable either, right? That there's only yeah, 2,000 I mean, per year. I mean, I, I think they're, they're obviously, at minimum, they're missing uh, overwhelming numbers of um, of cases where there's no shot fired, nobody's injured, nobody's killed. There's just no way that they're... Um, because I mean, all you have to do is scroll through that. I, I ran the downloaded spreadsheet, read the numbers, but all you have to do is scroll yeah. through there. You see that almost every incident they have has injuries and deaths. Right. And if you start clicking through the sources, they're almost all from the media. The cases without injuries and deaths are very frequently spectacular things that would end up in the media. It's um, it's not it's not a comprehensive count. Yeah, I also just think that the lot the idea that even if you call like even if you call the police, say someone, this is actually one of the uh, examples the CDC initially used for why the the gun violence archive count is likely an extreme undercount. But if somebody shows up at your porch in, in the middle of the night and you uh, come to the door with your gun and they run off, um, even if you do report that encounter to the police, you know, if they're wearing a mask or so you can't tell, you don't have a description of them. What, you know, where's that going to show up in any sort of statistic? It's just not going to. No. And, and of course, there are, uh, let's just say there are wide swaths of the uh, American population that are probably not comfortable with calling the police to tell them that they use the firearm to defend themselves, uh, especially if there was no, um, you know, immediate consequence, like they didn't actually have to shoot anybody. Like a lot of people, for a lot of reasons, uh, are not necessarily going to volunteer that information to police anyway. Yeah. I mean, anytime um, you do that, you're you're inviting the question of whether it was really self-defense, right. which by the way, is another Inviting criticism scrutiny. of the surveys. I mean, that's another thing people <laughs> right. say. You know, yes, if, you, if you say that you used a gun in self-defense, maybe you were actually the aggressor or at, at minimum, maybe some Could of the be. people saying they were, you know, uh, maybe defended themselves in ways that aren't legal. You know, for example, it's difficult to defend property with a gun. There's nuances legally. In yeah. States, so I think we've pretty well established that it's not simple to calculate these things and you're not no. likely to come up with a, uh, an, uh, an absolute answer that's going to address every issue with trying to calculate this this phenomenon, but uh, but you do uh, think that there's you, you do have like a, a range that you personally uh, believe is is in the realm of reality. And what what so where would you? <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, I'm not sure that I do. I mean, it's I think the yeah. sixty thousand is obviously way too low. The the two point five million is probably too high. Um, you know, somewhere in the broad middle and between there. I think it's it's because of all the issues we talked about. It's extremely hard to have a um, to have a account of it. And especially, it depends how how broad you're willing to be as what of what counts as a defensive gun use. If somebody, you know, uses a gun to stop 
to protect their property when that's not technically legal and the, the person runs off? Does that count as a defensive gun use or was that something where they were breaking the law? Um, so, hmm. yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. And then we should also have to question whether the law is, <laughs> yeah. is uh, morally right in the circumstance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but e either way, um, so you, you don't, you wouldn't want to venture a guess at, because I, I do think you had a 2019 article in National Review that did say it's likely in the hundreds of thousands. That's where you put it. Yeah. Down. Do you have, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, probably, that's probably fair. Um, I, I'm, I'm extremely skeptical of the ones that go, go up higher, you know, the 2.5 million, even the, even the 1 million, I think hundreds of thousands, that, that, that sounds, that sounds fair. Um, but that's a, that's a factor of 10 separating 100,000 from you know, 900,000. Also a factor of 10, the other direction too, from 2000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. all right. Well, um, I appreciate you coming on and giving us the insight. You know, I still think obviously as much as we dove into the details of, uh, of the complications of calculating this, the, you would still say that the real major issue here is, is not so much that the CDC says it's hard to know, but more that they, uh, the process that was used to make this change. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it, like I said, if they had originally just had a really vague statement, like so, some people who you know, follow this might be be irked that that they didn't either. You know, if you're a gun control advocate, you might be irked that they didn't attack Gary Clack. If you're a gun a gun control opponent, you might be irked that they didn't include Gary Clack's number. But I don't think it would have been a big deal if the website had just said that from the beginning. Just just mm -hmm. had a vague statement that hey, this is really hard. We're working on more research. That would have been so, fine. But it's big cha deal. changing it, yeah, taking the number off of theirs, but that, that, that a number that is near and dear to a lot of uh, gun gun advocates' hearts, um, and like, wasn't inaccurate the way that it wasn't they described it, and 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 wasn't presented in one sided way. It was part of a very wide range, mm -hmm. um, and, and doing that in response to to political lobbying is is really where the story is at. I think on this, and without any new information coming to light no. either. Um, all right, well, uh, we appreciate your in insight into this and. And your explanation of the challenges of getting this number uh, accurate, uh, you know, making these sort of estimates. Uh, and so hopefully we'll have you on again in the future. You know, I'd like to have you on whenever we get into these sort of topics, because I, I know you're very fair about, uh, you know, weighing the pros and cons on either side. Uh, and you have a lot of insight into these sorts of these areas. So. Um, we appreciate it. And uh, where can people find you if they, they want to follow your writing or your work? Oh, my, well, my uh, work is at the Manhattan Institute. Um, you just Google Robert Verbruggen Manhattan Institute. You can find my author page there, which has everything I publish there and, and elsewhere. Um, otherwise, I'm also at Twitter at R.A. Verbruggen. Um, so that's a, another good way to follow what I'm up to. Um, I really appreciate you having me on. I love your, love your work. I've been following you for a long time, obviously. So, oh, Well, thanks so much. We'll have to have you on again in the future. Thank you. All right. It's time for the news update with contributing writer Jake Fogelman. How are you doing today, Jake? I'm doing all right, Steve. How are you? Good. I, I think you just uh, just had a Christmas party last night. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. For my full-time job, we had a staff Christmas party on a, a Thursday night for some reason. <laughs> it's kind of an odd yes. night to do it. but so You're, uh, Yeah, Independence Institute right out in, in Colorado. Yep, down um, here downtown. Must have been, you know, think tank Christmas parties, uh, you know. Ragers, I assume. That's right. All the wonks <laughs> cutting loose. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad you were able to get up and make it to film this today because uh, we have uh, you got a pretty good story that came out uh, uh, just recently you know, on Friday and <clears throat> uh, deals with the political 
outcome or political backlash from uh, the CDC report that we published on Thursday. What uh, what did you find? You know, Republicans are poised to take control of the House. They're going to have oversight of the CDC. What are they saying? Yeah. So naturally, this uh, the story that we talked about with the CDC worked with gun control activists uh, over a months long process that eventually culminated in them scrubbing their website of the range of estimates for defensive gun uses per year. Um, naturally, that sparked a bit of a backlash among Republican lawmakers. They already have a bit of a fraught relationship with the CDC, thanks to the pandemic um, and, and other longstanding uh, grudges, I would say. Um, and so, yeah, the, the top lawmakers spoke to me um, about the response. Uh, House GOP Chairwoman Elise Stefanik, who's the number three ranking Republican uh, for the soon to be majority. Uh, she came out and said that the CDC was acting as an arm of the Democratic Party, and that this is part of the unconstitutional Biden gun grabbing agenda. Um, you had Senate uh, Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, who uh, he serves on the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, which is directly oversees the CDC. Um, he came out and said that it's completely unacceptable that uh, they would scrub a government website of statistics and evidence that are inconvenient to one side's political narrative. So the backlash has been pretty swift from from top Republican lawmakers. Yeah, <clears throat> it's kind of along the lines you might expect, right? That uh, and you reached out to Democrats as well. I did. Uh, yeah, none of them would this. talk to me. I reached out to yeah. dozens of Democrats and on both in both chambers and didn't get a response from a single one. Right. Um, so they're kind of just uh, keeping quiet on this. We did hear from Senator Dick Durbin on the initial story since his office was involved in connecting the. Uh, gun control advocates with CDC officials, uh, although they said that they they were simply connecting them and didn't play any role beyond that. Um, so uh, that's all we've heard from Democrats this far. The White House didn't respond to uh, comments because they were also involved in connecting the advocates and, and the CDC officials, but uh, they didn't put out a statement. We actually haven't heard at all from the CDC itself right. on any of this, despite... Um, there's quite a lot of media coverage at this point. Other outlets have followed up uh, with asking them about it, and they just have gone completely silent, which is um, discouraging, I think, for uh, the the leading science agency in, in the American government. But regardless, uh, you know, it seems that Republicans, um, they aren't necessarily directly committing to any sort of investigation here, right? Yeah, uh, no, I Asked a few of the folks that are going to be on the oversight committee, for example, if there was, you know, any plans to take a deeper look at what's going on at the CDC. No one's committing. I think they're, you know, holding the cards pretty close to the chest on this particular story. But I think there's reason for us to believe that it could come up because the, the narrow soon to be House majority that the Republicans are going to hold in the upcoming Congress has pretty much committed that. Oversight is going to be one of their priorities. Um, obviously, right. legislation is not going to be a real possibility because the Democrats still control the Senate and Biden, of course, is still the president. Um, so one of the things that they will be able to do is drag people in front of Congress and, and have them testify. They can sub subpoena people. Um, and they've already made it very clear that that's what they plan to do for a whole number of factors. So it's quite possible that this could be a, a, another thing on the list. Yeah, that is honestly one of the main differences that you're going to see between the democratic controlled house yeah. of the last two years and the republican controlled house for the next two years is they're going to have 
actual oversight abilities uh, in terms of scheduling what gets hearings and what doesn't. Um, so I would expect that this will probably come up at some point down the line um, in the House at the very least. It, it'll probably come up as well in the Senate uh, during, you know, more routine oversight hearings on CDC uh, because Republicans will likely bring it up there as well. Um, we did have uh, Stefanik say, quote, I will continue to provide a, provide a critical check on Joe Biden and hold Democrats accountable for attacking the constitutional rights of Americans. So, uh, you know, it's something of a commitment to do something, it's obviously not specific. Uh, the story did just come out yesterday. So uh, or as we're filming this, the day before she made those comments is when the, the story came out. So um, uh, perhaps they're, they're still waiting to hear more. Um, Either way, you know, it, it'll be something that we'll keep on top of. <clears throat> we'll be watching for what exactly they do. And uh, and we'll bring it to, to everyone, right? Uh, you know, I, I think there's going to be uh, more action on this than, uh, than what we're aware of at this point. You know, we're going into the, the Christmas break here. And so they're not necessarily drawing up detailed plans that they're making public for how they're going to proceed with investigations. But um, it is something that I think is a, a fairly obvious step forward that they're going to take once, once they get it. I mean, especially because the CDC, even beyond all of the uh, disagreements that Republicans have had with the agency during COVID uh, you know, the, the sort of animosity there stretches back is actually on guns in particular to the 1990s when you had uh, CDC officials openly advocating for gun bans um, at points. And that's what led to the, the Dickey Amendment, which uh, which is still uh, in effect, although uh, it used to have a much more, I guess, chilling effect might be a, uh, the proper term for it on what the CDC did in regards to firearms. Uh, all the all the amendment says technically is that the CDC can't use federal funds to advocate for gun control. Um, now this was this that was for a long time interpreted to just be that they shouldn't get involved in studying firearms much at all. Um, actually, the uh, somewhat ironically, the 2013 review of gun research that was initially linked in the defensive gun use section of the CDC's website, where th this whole controversy stems from, uh, the removal of that link is, uh, was um, one of the uh, only things they'd produced on guns, uh, you know, in, in a long time. It was ordered by President Obama um, in the wake of Sandy Hook. And so, uh, <laughs> They actually removed a, a link to the the research that they had conducted uh, in recent years, and so. But uh, of course, the the sort of effective limitation on CDC gun research funding came to an end a couple of years ago, when uh, Congress started to appropriate funds for that purpose for government funded. Uh, gun research. And so the CDC, this is another complication of all this. 
the CDC now has more funds to directly uh, um, uh, commission research on uh, gun topics now. And they're, they're with Republicans coming into office and this uh, scandal happening, they're going to certainly, I think, enjoy a higher level of scrutiny on this topic than they have in decades. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that absolutely adds more fuel to that fire. You've, you've seen the CDC, as you pointed out, they weren't banned from doing gun research, but it, it's sort of been interpreted that way in the political realm that the CDC's prevented. But you've seen them sort of inch back in. Uh, Director Rochelle Walensky, I think last year, made a comment that they wanted to do more research into the into you know gun politics and gun policy. <clears throat> and so for this news to come out now, as they're starting to re reestablish themselves in that field, that's only going to add more fuel to this fire. This, it's just going to add more distrust among Republicans and among gun rights folks. So that's definitely a thing to keep an eye on, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we will keep an eye on it, right? So uh, make sure you guys are stay tuned to the podcast and get subscribed to the Reloads free weekly newsletter. And uh, if you want to support our reporting and get access to member exclusive reports and pieces of analysis, you should pick up a membership today. Head on over to thereload.com. You can see our membership options. We have uh, monthly and yearly memberships. You get a little discount if you buy a yearly one. Um, and, uh, you know, the other way you can help share the, share the news, spread the word about our reporting is by uh, rating and sharing this podcast here uh, on whatever platform you're listening to it on, like it on YouTube, share it, uh, share the video of the podcast or some of the clips that we have. Uh, and, you know, we'll be back again shortly. Thank you, guys.